two ladies exploring the personal stories and experiences of women in ufology and the paranormal. to all of our listeners tonight welcome to women of the dark and uh hi abs how are you doing i'm doing all right i'm doing all right i'm getting there in you excellent yes not too excited. bad not too mm-hmm. bad with us. Uh, yeah very exciting episode today because we are joined by uh irena scott um so Irina, would you like to introduce yourself to all of our listeners? I'm sure many of them will be familiar with with your work. Um, just a little bit about about you and how you came into the world of ufology. Okay, um, I've written four books. Um, uh, the last one's Beyond Pascagoula, and the other ones are UFOs today about um, disclosure and the government. Um, hiding and misinformation. Um, I'm. Uh, I have my PhD from the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine, and I did postdoc work at Cornell, and I had a professorship at Saint Bonaventure, <clears throat> and I've also worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency. So, how how did you? go from your academic world into into our world of ufology what what got you interested in and into that field well um it i it wasn't something that you, you went around talking about <laughs> but my <laughs> my sister and i had had sort of a ufo um sighting a close encounter when we were very tiny kids before years before we ever heard of ufos and it was years later before we figured out it had anything to do with UFOs. But we had um, a close encounter with one inside our bedroom. Oh, okay. Wow. And Can you t- tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, it was actually something my whole family remembered because we were terrified at the time. But um, we were we were kind of poor and we were sleeping in an attic room. On She was on one side and I was on the other. And um, we were just, you know, asleep at night. And there wasn't a storm going, I'm pretty sure that for other reasons, but um, I woke up and I saw this thing flying around the room and it looked like a little piece of hot metal. Nowadays they talk about the Tic Tac object and it's actually literally what it looked like. Like a real Tic Tac. Um, it was very small and glowing, and it sort of just seemed to be browsing around like it was looking around, but I noticed that it didn't bump into anything. If it came to a wall, it turned ahead of time and it avoided the furniture, so it seemed to be able to see even though it was dark. Mm-hmm. Under intelligent control. Uh- yeah. Um, and so, you know, I wondered what it was. And then after a while, it it got kind of close to both of us, but we weren't talking to each other, and I didn't know she was awake, and I guess she did know I was awake. But did it make um, did it make a noise? No, there was no, no. sound. Um, and then it flew up toward the ceiling, 
and it turned before it got to the seat, before it hit the ceiling, and it went along the wall, and we had a, a chandelier in the room, and the walls were um, sloping up because it was an attic room. There was about three feet in between them, and the chandeliers was there, and it didn't feel its way around or anything. It just went to the chandelier and began circling it between it, it and the two walls, and it circled and circled and circled and circled. And then it came down in a spiral, which is uh, real geometrical, just like the center of the chandelier went through the middle of it. The spiral got smaller. And then just suddenly, both of us became absolutely terrified. And we started screaming. And um, we were so terrified, we fell down the stairs and we couldn't get the stair door open. And finally we went screaming to our parents and they said, we, <laughs> we weren't telling the truth. <laughs> Cough. Didn't yeah. believe us, but it it behaved in an intelligent way. I mean, it seemed to know where things were and stuff. But it was a number of years after that. But I that I even heard of UFOs, and we didn't. I never thought of it being a UFO because back then you thought of them like airplanes with pilots. But now, there, um, people know that they're smaller ones. Maybe it was like a, a probe from somewhere else that was scanning? I don't know, because I read a book by um, Jenny Randall's years later called, called Star Children. And she said that there's a pattern of some people that they'll have, they'll see small objects in their bedrooms when they're kids. And then later when they're adults, they'll see um, larger UFO type objects Mm -hmm. And that happened to both of us because we saw that together when we were kids and we didn't understand it for many, many years. But then later, together, we saw a large UFO type thing. And so how many years later was that? That was quite a few years later. Mm -hmm. And we knew about UFOs, but I still hadn't read. We still didn't know that little one might have been a UFO. But mm -hmm. um, uh, we saw the larger one in 1968. And what were the circumstances behind that sighting? That sighting lasted a long time. It was a very long um, sighting, and the whole thing lasted a long time. Um, we were uh, we had our first sighting in Ohio, and later when we grew up, uh, she was at Drew University taking postgraduate work, and I was at working for the Defense Intelligence Agency in Washington, D.C., so we're both on the east end of the country. We decided to take a vacation and go up and see the New England states. And so I picked up a couple of co-workers and drove up to New York, and they wanted to see New York and have me pick him up later. And so I let him out and took pictures of him and picked up my sister and went toward Boston. And we got there, and it was still daylight, so... We drove up to New Hampshire, and I found out later that we'd been in sort of the area where some of the um, hill abduction took place. But we came back down to Boston. It was dark. It was getting dark, and we couldn't find any motels, so we decided to drive around on the Outer Belt and look. And so we headed toward the Outer Belt, and there was a, a airport south of us called the Norwood Memorial Airport. And we could see airplanes coming in 
and putting on their landing lights and their wing lights and red and green lights and everything. And there was one, this one thing that was smaller, I mean, below them, and it was very, very, very white. And there weren't any other colors. And we kept wondering what that was. And my sister kept saying, uh, maybe it was a UFO. And I was in science at the time. And so I told her she was crazy. And <laughs> I told her it was a helicopter blinking its landing lights, even though I'd never seen anything like it either. And so we kept watching it. And um, we were kind of arguing because it didn't look anything like an airplane. And then we went by, there was a woods on the west side of the road. And I saw this thing that looked like a, uh, sort of like a basketball, but was transparent like a glass basketball. Mm -hmm. It had light on the inside and the light was going through a spectrum of blue and red. And it just kept going through a spectrum like purple and red and blue and so on. And there was sort of a thin thing that seemed to be rotating around it. And I had no idea what that thing was. It was kind of on the ground or close. And then the inside of the car turned green. Huh? And I didn't know what on earth was going on. Um, and I looked around and that thing I was looking at wasn't green. And I didn't see, you know, it, it, I didn't see green anywhere. And I think I had a notice of other people's car was green on the inside. So we kept on going, we were arguing still. And then my sister started yelling at me to get over, to pull over. And she was watching the uh, bright thing and I wasn't, but um, so she started screaming at me. So I pulled over and I pointed my hand out the window and I was gonna say, see, it's a helicopter thing that. And so I looked and um, I saw a meteor way off in the distance and we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it for about five years after it happened because we both left and right afterwards we didn't see each other for five more years. But anyway, then many years later, we filled out um, a form for the Center for UFO Studies and I didn't want to influence each other so we didn't talk about it too much. But she said that around that time, the inside of the car lit up in blue and she thought this thing had shined a blue light in our real purple or some kind of a strange colored light in the car and it was about the same time i thought i saw a meteor well this thing came over the road slowly over the trees and it was a we could it was real close right over the trees and we could see it very very clearly and at that time i we thought we counted the windows and there were seven windows and it was, there were these big things on the side that were lit up and we thought they were windows instead of panels we'd both seen like blimps with lighted sides and things and we knew what they were look like and this didn't look like it, it looked like the windows and we were looking inside it had seven square windows in a line and it had a little tiny red light on one end and green light on the other that weren't blinking well the um the windows were blinking in a sequence like maybe the first three and then all seven and then the last four and then going through the sequence again. And you think that was a means of communication, maybe? Well, my sister kept saying that it was a signal. 
And mm -hmm. I asked her later and she thought it was sending us some kind of a signal and she thought we were supposed to understand it. But, I, and you know, while we kept watching it, she kept saying it was signaling and I didn't understand what she was talking about. But anyway, um, uh, I had a high, I had a Polaroid camera in the car and I had high speed film and I had to find them. And it was just a perfect picture because it, it was over the freeway. There were seven big square windows and everything. It would just been a perfect, absolutely perfect picture. Uh, and I was in the DIA working in photo interpretation. So I knew what it was like and I wanted to get a picture. And so I had to find the, the camera and the film. And I did, and I was looking, I was trying to get the film and the camera and I did, and I was ready to take a picture. And this thing was right there. And a truck driver came and pulled over and he was walking toward us. And I thought, oh, we'll have another witness. This will be great. And the truck driver came and stood beside me and asked, what are you doing? And this seemed like a real funny question because this big thing was there. And he was I was scared to take the picture when he was there. Well, um, anyway, he sort of, when I, I pointed at it, he kind of just rotated around the opposite direction and said, I don't see anything. Then he turned around, looked at me again. And, you know, I was getting the creeps, but he said the same thing. And so I pointed at it again and he rotated around and looked in the exact opposite direction and said, I don't see anything. Then he turned around, looked at me and, um, sort of gave a gesture like pointing to his head or something like I was crazy and went back to his truck and sat there watching us. Well, um, I thought, I thought all along until last year that my sister knew he was there, but she found a letter that she wrote last, last year. She found a letter that she wrote that day to my parents that described the whole thing. And I asked her, did she remember talking to the truck driver? And she said, no. And I should have known that to start with. I don't know whether she was concentrating hard or what. He was standing by me and maybe she was just concentrating, but she wasn't aware he was there then. But um, then uh, it, uh, she said that after in her uh, write-up that after while she said I took it took me a long time to put the film in the camera and then she said that about the time I was to take a picture or something that the thing suddenly got in another place and I wasn't aware of that I was watching my camera and talking to this crazy truck driver but then um and, and you know I didn't realize it until I read her thing but uh afterwards I I <laughs> realized it was a long ways away when I when the, I stopped talking to a truck driver. And it went toward the airport, and it starts circling the airport. And it would circle, a uh, half circle from north to south so fast you couldn't even see it. And then it blinked twice on its way north. And it just circled and circled. Well, so I hadn't been able to get the picture. And by that time, it was so far away, I was afraid I'd get lens flares from the freeway. So there was a hill, and I ran up the hill. And I took some pictures and got pictures and came back down, just one of them turned out. And at the time, we couldn't figure them out. But then um, 
we wanted to see it close again because we couldn't figure out what it was. And I was dying to get a picture and that truck driver had stopped me from getting it. And so we drove on, got on the freeway and we were going to go down to the next exit and turn around and go back. Well, the truck driver drove right in behind me and started following me right on my bumper. And they're if, very suspicious. The truck oh, bizarre. I thought he was going to kill us. Yeah. And, um, he was definitely chasing us because if I switched lanes, he switched lanes. If I slowed down, he slowed down. It wasn't like he was trying to get around me or something. He was, he was right on my bumper and blinding me with his bright lights in my mirror. Mm -hmm. Very intimidating. Huh? Very intimidating. Oh, I thought we were going to die. And I said goodbye to my sister. And, you know, I thought this was the end. And so I finally, after he followed me at a while, I decided that what I'd do is I'd drive along as fast as I could on the left-hand lane. And then when I came to another intersection, I'd swerve off as fast as possible. And he might not be able to swerve that fast. Well, that worked as far as I could tell. And we, I think I lost him. I wouldn't have known the difference because I didn't, wasn't too aware of what his truck looked like, but I didn't see any more trucks driving. So anyway, I drove back and uh, got on the freeway again and got up to about where the thing was circling, and it started going to the northwest. And the, um, the uh, roads went north and south and east and west, and I had to sort of zigzag. And finally, we were on this really bad old road with bumps and gravel and houses a long ways away that you couldn't turn around. And it was just driving, it was just going a little bit faster than I could drive. And so I finally had to turn around and go back well, um, I had written real good details on everything that happened, but I hadn't put the time in. And Bud Hopkins interviewed me years ago and asked whether we had missing time. And I said, I didn't know. But um, anyway, we drove back to Drew University and I didn't know whether there was missing time or not, but my sister last year found this letter she wrote to my mother that gave the time. And we'd apparently watched the object for about four and a half hours or something, which wow. was, seemed a lot longer than we remembered watching it. So we might've had missing time. But anyway, I got back to um, Drew and we went to sleep. And then I was supposed to pick up the my coworkers, but they didn't show up and, I had a picture of him right there on the campus talking to my sister by where she lived. And I couldn't, they, they were real mad at me later and said, you know, that they couldn't get in contact with me. And I didn't understand that at all. But anyway, I waited a long time for him. And then I went back to um, Washington, D.C. and got there that night. And then I had a poltergeist experience that lasted all night long. And then the next day I went to work for the DIA and I was my normal self. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty weird uh, thing. Do you think the poltergeist incident and the sighting were related? Well, they were both weird and I don't usually have poltergeist <laughs> experiences. So they both happened at the same time. So I thought, you know, they might very well There's be. There's some coincidence there, definitely. Yeah, we do find there's a lot of links between UFO activity and 
paranormal, paranormal activity. Well, I've, I know Kathleen Martin, who does a lot of, do you know her? Um, yeah. She's, yeah. She does a lot of research on that. And she says that a lot of times that people, I mean, at that time, I didn't even know what a poltergeist was. I mean, I was in science and I thought I'd just gone insane. And I was afraid I had this real high security clearance and I was afraid I'd gone crazy and I was going to lose my job. And I didn't know what to do about it. But then later I found out about poltergeist and I thought it was poltergeist. But she's done research and she says a lot of people, after they have a close encounter or abduction, they have poltergeist experiences later. And mm -hmm. so I found that out years later, but it sort of matched what happened to me. Yeah. Can I ask you, Irina, do you think that women are underrepresented in the field of ufology? Yeah. And why do you think that is? I think they're underrepresented in the field of science. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When I was a kid, I tried, when I was younger, I really wanted to be an astronomer and I couldn't even, they, it was male only and I couldn't even apply for jobs if I when it, I majored in it and I tried to apply for jobs and they just said, no, no, you women aren't allowed to apply. I mean, they, women can now, but um, so I think the brainwashed women were bad in science and stupid, which it must have been quite difficult working for the Defense Intelligence Agency as well. Well, I didn't go as a woman. About, I mean, I, did, I was the only female on my whole floor, and I didn't go around saying I see UFOs because you know, <laughs> I didn't yeah. tell anybody that for years and years. But I certainly yeah. didn't say it at the U at the DIA. Have you found any sort of pushback when you've been researching because you're a woman in the business? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of less pushback now because uh, the, gov the U.S. government's examining UFOs. And before, you know, anybody talked about them was considered crazy. And I started talking about them about the time I retired from my scientific jobs decided to come out of the closet and you know everybody said you're crazy they don't exact exist and all, all that but now you know you're taken a little bit more seriously we still find it quite difficult in the uk well it's it's a it's a lot better here than it was i mean the people that told me you know that i was you know nuts they're not saying it strongly now well, you've got um, the American government and Congress admitting that there is something. Yeah. The British still won't. That we still get. No, I'm not having it. That doesn't help there. No. No. Oh. <laughs> it's a shame. Um, well, say the United States is. <laughs> because I think that made it a lot easier. And I don't get, you know, when people say, oh, you're crazy. Well, I say, well, you know, all these big shots are also investigating the Congress and NASA and uh, some Congress people and other people are saying, you know, something might be happening that they can't explain. Well, I know, I know you you had a book, um, seventy years of lies, misinformation, and cover-ups. Uh -huh. How hard was it getting the information? For that 
what what do you mean? I didn't. It's the book. It's the book that you did. Um, seventy years of lies, misinformation, and cover-ups. Uh -huh. Um. Well, I, I was doing a lot of um, investigating toward the time I began to retire in retirement, and I was joined a group that uh, investigated UFOs, and also there was quite a bit of cover-up. Um, and it was going on quite a bit on the government because there were a lot of things the government was doing that um, weren't true. I mean, like when I worked for the DIA, um, I was in air order battle and our, uh, our section was identifying airplanes from satellite photography. And... I never said anything about seeing UFOs, but once I just brought up the subject to my supervisor, just, you know, offhanded and all that. And they said that just before I joined the group that they had reported a UFO on our really highly classified photography. And they said they had notified their supervisors and reported a UFO. I mean, we reported everybody to our, our, everything to our supervisors and Normally, we saw airplanes and identified them. Well, they had identified a UFO and <laughs> reported it. And they're super, it was on two photographs. And you could see it in stereo. And their supervisor said, no, it was a spot on the film. And these are big shots. That, I mean, I think my one of my supervisors is pretty high in the DIA. But they told him that it was, it was a spot on the film. And so... They got their report rejected by their supervisors, which, you know, I thought way back then that there was a cover up going on and that I was experiencing it a little bit. <laughs> but so did you get any interference government wise when you were writing the book? No, but I didn't ask the government. Well, I might have because um, before I wrote the book, um, I belonged to this group and we were uh, investigating different things. And one place I had been was Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which was really important in ufology. Yeah. And, um, it has all these secret areas. It's a place for the public where there's a museum, but then all the rest of it's very secured with chain link fences and everything. And I had been in that area for different things. Um, my employer had sent me there and for other, other reasons. So I'd been in the real classified area, secured area, and I had taken pictures and I published the pictures in a, a notebook of in the classified, that I'd taken in the classified area. Well, about a day or two after my pictures came out, um, a jet plane, uh, army military supersonic jet plane, dive bombed my house, and so that I got it on. Um, I didn't get the actual dive bomb, but I got the plane circling. It was a T thirty eight, which is um, at that time it was it was owned by the Air Force. It was the only um, supersonic jet that they had for you know it's a bit extreme yeah and 
um, I got the thing circling. Then I got my neighbors while it was still circling and asked them what happened. And they said it dive bombed your house. And that's what I heard too. I was just my normal thing. I didn't have a film in any of my cameras or anything. And I heard this plane coming and then it just shook the house. I mean, the house was shaking. And I thought it was going to crash into the house and I was terrified. And I ran out, I got one real easy to um, load camera and got a picture. And then I came back and it was still circling. So I got my video camera and it was still circling. And I got a good close-up picture. There were, I lived by a recreation area and there were stunt pilots around at the same time. And then I was able to get my neighbor and ask them and they said, it, it dive bombed your house. And that's what I thought it did too. And so there might have been some <laughs> repercussion for something. That's that's like massive intimidation, isn't it? What were they what were you researching at the time that they did that? Well, um we were our group was just researching UFOs and interviewing people and things like that. And um I had published these pictures of the secured area inside the secured area, including what I later was um, identified as the Blue Room building, and so <laughs> and some of their pictures of their security and stuff. So I might have irritated somebody. And you stepped on somebody's toes. <laughs> yeah. Also, another person in that in the group was a um, pilot, and um, he was on. TV around the same time and they gave his address and phone number at the end of the program and afterwards a helicopter came and got in a firing position and circled his house three times and the family his daughter was a pilot too and they knew airplanes and everything and they reported that too and it was a you know within a month of each each other so we got some interesting things happening right then yeah i would say more than interesting quite frightening yeah well i mean i thought my house i thought i was going to get hit when the thing dive on my house i didn't know what was going on I just the house was shaking and everything and then my neighbor's buildings were shaking when it happened too i live on a farm and we aren't too close but everybody heard <laughs> that thing yeah, have you had any other experiences where you feel that you have been almost tried to be silenced into speaking up on things? I've got to think about it. I don't remember anything now, but um, mm -hmm. uh, so I just have to think about it. I, I need to think about it some more. I don't know. <laughs> okay, not to worry. So, Irina, um, you are doing a bit of work at the minute, I believe, with Philip Mantle on the Pascagoula incident. Is that yes, right? Yes. And for anybody who doesn't know about, I mean, it's a, it's quite a famous, um, you know, UFO abduction um, story um, from the 1970s, I want to say. Is that right? 1973. Excellent. Do you want to just um, give us a brief synopsis of, of the, the story of, of that event? Yes. Um, there were these two people 
they worked at, uh, they were uh, shipyard employees. And the one man was older, about 45. And um, the a younger man who was about 18 or 19, they were co-workers. And after their, they were family friends. I mean, the younger man was a friend of the older man's son, vice versa. And so anyway, after their work, they decided to go fishing, which uh, Pascagoula is down by the Gulf of Mexico and there's water and a big um, river, the Pascagoula River and everything. <clears throat> and so people do a lot of fishing. It was a normal thing to do. And so they looked at a couple of places and went to this one place that said no trespassing. And it made the younger man a little nervous because it was his car. But they decided to go. And uh, they went out on this uh, pier to fish. And they weren't people, they weren't UFO people at all. I, I talked to the older man's son and he said, once he asked his father whether UFO exists, existed. And his father said, nope. And so they had no interest in UFOs or anything. But they went out fishing and this thing came. It was um, um, sort of submarine shaped or tic-tac shaped. It was big, about 30 feet long. And it came, um, it hovered, it didn't have wheels or anything. It just hovered and opened up and these three things came out. Um, and one, two of them grabbed the older man, one grabbed the younger man and took him in the inside. And when they were inside, it was like, uh, the things were kind of like, Pillsbury Doughboys or something. They were wrinkled <laughs> and about five feet tall. And um, they had kind of like pointed ears and a pointed nose. And I don't know if they, for sure whether they had eyes or not. But anyway, they pulled him into this um, thing and the thing was very brightly lit and they were separated. And they both, um, said that the the light was really bright on the inside and they couldn't really see anything but like both of them reported that something like a thing came out of the wall and scanned them and the older man said it was like a eye or something and it seemed to focus on him and then um they were in there for some time they were both absolutely terrified and then the things took them back out and put them back on the um, pier. And they were both so terrified, you couldn't believe it. And the one man was standing with his arms up in the air, and I think they both fell down. And they were just, you know, beyond themselves. And then the thing went away. Um, and so, you know, if that happened to you, especially in 1973 with shipyard workers and things, you know, nobody would believe you. And the younger man, he had his whole life ahead of him, and he certainly didn't want to go through life being, you know, not saw the UFO. The older man had been in the military, and he had been in life and death situations, and he thought he could take all the harassment. And he decided to report it, which the younger man very strongly disagreed with. But anyway, 
they contacted, I think they tried to contact a newspaper and the newspaper was closed or something. Mm -hmm. And then they tried to contact the Air Force Base. There was a big Air Force Base down there. And the Air Force Base told them that they no longer collected UFO reports, you know, Project Blue Book had ended and everything. And so they told him to report to the sheriff's office. And so they called the sheriff's office and said um, so they'd been abducted, which, <laughs> I mean, that would be a very embarrassing thing to call the sheriff's office and say. <clears throat> and the sheriff's didn't want to get taken by, you know, nuts or anything. And so, but they did a real good job investigating. They brought him into the sheriff's office and interviewed both of them separately. And then they put them together in a room. I've had that tape. And um, then uh, after they interviewed them together in a room, they left and left the two together. And what the two didn't know was that they had a recording device hidden away in the room because the policeman didn't want, you know, to get taken by hoaxers. And so anyway, the two men were just absolutely terrified. And the um, went later when they got the recording, they realized that, that they weren't hoaxing. And so that had, um, that was made it believable for one thing they had reported it immediately and for another the mystery tape as it was called which is still on the internet showed that they weren't hoaxing that they mm. thought something happened and so anyway somehow that got in the newspaper and it made the news all over the world i mean it, it's still a very famous case even all these years later Obviously, you've you've researched it recently and spoken to people involved. What what's your take on it? Does it seem a legitimate experience, in your opinion? Yeah, because um, the two men were just overwhelmed, and a lot of people interviewed them. And I talked to people that interviewed them and that said, you know, that they could tell, you know, that <laughs> they were just practically in shock. I don't know. I know he's still like to talk about it did you by chance at some point get to speak to them not too much i talked to their wives and son and things um but mm -hmm. they uh the young the older man wrote a book he's dead now but he wrote a book several years ago that detailed it and gave it a lot of detail and the younger man has written two books now and got details but it's very unusual because for one thing a lot of people don't think abductions exist because a lot of abductions take place out in the boondocks where there's not any witnesses and where the people don't even realize anything happened and they don't remember it until later in their dreams or hypnosis or something. Well, these people were both conscious, remembered it, they reported it immediately. But another thing was is that a lot of people there um, saw things at the same time. In fact, there was um, another group that were on the other side of the river that may have been abducted at the same time and they saw what was going on. They didn't know what was going on then, but they saw some some parts of it. And what was it about this particular case that made you sort of 
re-look into it because one of the things that we quite often talk about at UFO Identified is that we as UFO researchers spend a lot of time rehashing a lot of these old cases that are out there and there's not a lot of emphasis put on the new cases that are around so what was it about the Pascagoula um, incident that that drew you back to look at it? Well what drew me back um, was one thing that um, I was working with Philip Mantle, who was a publisher of um, the books by Calvin Parker, who was a yeah. witness. And he wanted me to interview people in the United States. And so I interviewed a lot of other witnesses. But I had actually worked on something else that happened at the same time as that years ago. And um, it kind of at the same time it happened, something happened in my family. Um, I had been in in Missouri and my mother was in Ohio, which is about 600 miles difference. And I received a phone call from my mother um, one night. And she said, did you hear that noise? And I told her she was crazy that you couldn't hear, you know, you couldn't hear 600 miles away. And I teased her, and then later she said there was this huge, huge uh, UFO wave going on. And she was a skeptic, and she said people all over were seeing UFOs and hiding in their closets and keeping their kids at home from school and everything else. It's just like a, a military thing. And I didn't pay too much attention to it until later, and I decided later I moved back to Ohio, and I decided if... Uh, one day I was in the library and I just decided to see if I could find a date for when that happened. And I looked in the books. I went to the newspaper room and just looked. And I really didn't know when it was, but I just guessed. And I didn't think I'd ever find it, but I found it. And it turned out that that was the same time as the Pascagoula abduction at that time, I didn't pay attention to the abduction, though. I was just paying attention to the sound. But the sound was really, really weird because mm. it went over about the length of half the United States. And nobody could figure out what caused it. Um, and it appeared to happen the same time as the abduction. And there was a huge wave going on all over the country and maybe other countries at the same time. And I had done research on the sound and published in a scientific journal. And so I had a background on that besides the other thing. And so I was interested in both. You seem to have had an awful lot of, of encounters of, of different types. And I think one was in a Bridgewater Triangle. Uh-huh. What was that one? The the Bridgewater Triangle? Yeah. That I found out about later. Um, my sister and I had the sighting in uh, Massachusetts. And um, on a podcast just a couple of years ago, I found out that there was a Bridgewater Triangle. And that in kind of the area where we had that sightings, there had been a lot of other sightings with people that were seeing things like UFOs and um, poltergeists and things like that, just like we experienced in the same area. Yeah, it seems to be a, a, a massive hotspot there. Of, um, it's a cryptid's dream. They've got all sorts there. 
But I'm wondering if the, the connection is you or the places that you are in. I don't know, because it turned out, another thing I found out, you know, within the last years in the podcast was the very first UFO sighting in the United States had been right there where we saw ours, where we first began to see ours. It was, uh, it might've been an abduction and um, it was the Plymouth colony that back in 1636 or somewhere around there, not too long after the Mayflower. And um, these people were on a boat and they saw this object uh, lit up at night flying around. And then they wound up being upstream and didn't know it. And so it might have been um, even an abduction. And it was written up by one of the first people that, um, you know, it, that was the first one of the first colonies in the whole country. And that was one of the first um, sightings. And where our sighting took place was just about the same places where that happened so it was very strange and i had we had a lot of our ancestors were there in the in that first colony too so it was pretty weird and you think it might be a genetic connection i don't know it was just interesting what you find out later what plans do you have for future research Irina? Do you have anything in the pipeline? Yeah, uh, Philip and I are going to write a book. Um, it's to, we have it written actually, it's to come out in September called um, Beyond, um, Beyond Reasonable Doubt. And we have, there were so many other sightings at the same time as the Pascagoula one and events that we, are saying that in, in a, in a um, court of law, they prove something to exist beyond a reasonable doubt. And we mm -hmm. have other observations that we could almost prove that abduction beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's and, not just like one incident, it's been a wave. Yeah. There was a huge wave there and uh, where my mother lived and a lot of other places too. Um, and a, a lot of um, other people that saw UFOs at the same time as when the abduction was taking place on the same day and that sort of thing. I mean, it wasn't just by itself. There were a lot of other observations. And we are also- you look, Are you looking to link these sightings and experiences? Yeah, yeah. I interviewed a lot of the people that had them. Um, and um, I interviewed them on tape, and there's transcripts of their tapes in the book. So I have firsthand interviews with them. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things that Abs and I are looking at doing next is going under um, regression and looking at regression therapy mm -hmm. within the field of ufology and, it, and how legitimate or useful it is as a tool. What are your thoughts on the use of regression well in our books we um had a number of people regress such as the two participants and then um 
these other two people that may have been abducted at the same time. Um, and we have hypnosis of them and other people. Um, I don't understand hypnosis very well because, <laughs> but Hopkins tried um, hypnotizing me and it didn't work at all. So <laughs> <laughs> I just that's, that's why Abby there. and I are going to try it. <laughs> well, I guess it works on most people, but it didn't do anything for me. <laughs> so I don't understand it. And I have other people answer the hypnosis questions because I'm not too sure I understand anything about it. Mm-hmm. But we have a number of transcripts and the other people did hypnotize and um, gave interesting reports that were in more detail than what they remembered, especially one of them. Yeah, it's, it's a little rabbit hole that we intend to go down soon, yeah. apps, isn't it? Yeah. Whether we'll, whether we'll get out of the rabbit hole, I don't know. We don't know what we're going to find when we go down it. Well, have you people had experiences? We have, um, yeah. 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 But we I want wondered, to make sense of it, I think. One similar to you that honestly, up until this point, I didn't put it together until I heard you talking about poltergeist activity with it. Even though we researched it, it never occurred to me. I had a sighting in 2008 and I took a fairly decent picture. You know the picture. Uh-huh. Um, but after that, the house we were in had quite extreme paranormal activity. Like, really extreme. Wow. Um, yeah, I I took a the picture I took. It took me a long time to understand. But when I did, I published that in a scientific journal and said that the object that I took the picture of was giving off light that wasn't in the visible spectrum. And I could see that from the photograph. Yes, yeah. it's, it's odd how photographs react, how the camera reacts to stuff. It's like we can't see it yeah. until you see it on film. Yeah, because that type of Polaroid and that type of film could um, take in, pick, could photograph light that you couldn't see. And even digital photographs are the same. You can take pictures and see nothing when you're taking yeah. the picture. But when you look at it on a computer, all of a sudden it's there. Uh-huh. I find that quite a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really strange because it, if you try to photograph UFOs, they don't turn out the same as photographs of normal things. And yet you take pictures of normal things and you get really good UFO pictures. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I have to say it's been absolutely lovely talking to you, Irina. It really has. Well, it's been really nice talking to you, and I'm glad you... It's, it's a fascinating topic, and you've been in it for such a long time yeah. and so accomplished in it that as a woman in the field, we can only look up to you. Well, I absolutely. wish more women were in it. I mean, I wish more women could get into science, too. Well, yeah. we're trying. We're, we're, yeah, we're trying to fly the flag. And I, I am. I, I do have a degree, and it is a science degree. I'm a biologist, but uh-huh. I tend not to use it. But there's a lot. Uh, it's a very male-dominated field. It's really hard to break into. Mm. Yeah, and I think women bring a lot more observation and different um, information into things than men do. It does seem to be an old boys' club, though. Yeah. 
something we're, we're trying to break down. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, there's a lot of different science is a lot different now. Women have been in it too. Yeah. So we'll keep trying to bash down those doors, see yeah. how we get on. But thank you very much for joining us um, for the show today. Um, for any of our other listeners who are out there, just a, a word of little promotion for um, UFO Identified. We do have our mini con this October coming up and tickets have just this past week gone on sale. They're flying out the doors. So we do have some early bird offers on for people if they wish to purchase tickets. And you can find all the ticket and the event information about who is speaking. Um, Abs and I will be presenting on our uh, experience of regression and about regression in general. So if you head over to www.ufoidentified.co.uk, you will be able to find all the information there um, and get yourself a ticket before they sell out. Because for the past two years, tickets have sold out and we've ended up with a waiting list. So be early. Thank you again, Irina. Well, thank you very much. It was great. And we'll have to and speak to you again and get a catch up after the book's been released and yeah, see what the the skinny is on that. I have another one coming up about messages from UFOs too that may be published next year. Fabulous. If uh -huh. we speak to you before that and get you a good plug in for the book, it's also something we've been looking well that in particular is going to be looking at is uh messages and sort of consciousness work yeah it's yeah. what it's about fabulous so but again thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today thank you